It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Hey everybody, welcome to the Locked on NBA crossover podcast today. Here we are recapping the end of the series between the Washington Wizards and Toronto Raptors, Raptors 1 and 6. I am Noah Getzel from Locked On Wizards, and we are here today with Sean Woodley. What's going on, Sean? Locked On Raptors host. How you feeling? Uh, pretty good, man. Gotta say. Uh, it was very tense in Game 6. I was not ready for another Game 7. The Leafs just played a Game 7 uh, this week and lost. The Raptors have had a couple Game 7s in recent years that were just like arduous and terrible and not at all fun to enjoy. So I gotta say, I'm feeling pretty good that the series got wrapped up in 6. It was a mm-hmm. few days off. About to watch Game 7. Caser's Caser's Cavs, I'm sure. Caser's <laughs> Cavs. And uh, I feel pretty good. So, yeah, can't complain. And you said you don't really care who wins Game 7. Your brain logically would say that, you know, like, the, you want to play the Pacers because you don't want to face LeBron James, but then it's also sort of like the rite of passage type thing where you, if you yeah. beat LeBron, you can beat anyone. Yeah, I'm a sucker for narrative and stuff, I guess, and, like, the idea of beating LeBron and, you know, because, like, he looks pretty vulnerable right now, at least the Cavs do as a whole. I mean, LeBron himself is still ridiculous, but the rest of the team is kind of butt, so um, if... If that's what happens and the Raptors lose to LeBron, like there's no shame in losing to LeBron because everyone loses to LeBron. But mm-hmm. if they beat beat him, that'd be kind of cool. And uh, yeah, no, but yeah, I'm pretty uh, neutral going into this game seven. I'm just excited to watch uh, the the anxiety of two fan bases unfold in front mm-hmm. of me. So if there's like <laughs> one word or one theme that you thought was like the key to to your Raptors series, and you know the Raptors coming out on top, is is there any? Like key over the course of those six games, like one one major recurring element that you think beat the Wizards. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, depth, I guess, would be the easy one. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Raptors, even without Fred VanVleet, like they had a lot of contributions throughout the series from secondary guys. DeLon Wright had a couple excellent fourth quarters and figured into a lot of you know some of the more you know tide changing runs that took place in the series he you know he had that game five where he had the the lob finish he had the three he mm-hmm. you know steal and, and euro step on john wall like he was excellent and then you had cj miles who even 
I thought CJ Miles' like contributions to this series are probably gonna go understated. He was really good in games one and two, hit a bunch of shots, and then after that he kinda went cold. But the threat of CJ Miles and the way the Wizards perceived that threat and sort of threw everything they had at defending him, I think ended up really helping out the Raptors. It was very much the spacing you want from a guy who's a gunner. And even though he was kind of cold, having him out there, as opposed to in years past where it was Patrick Patterson or Damari Carroll, where no one really mm-hmm. cared to guard them all that, did you know all that you know attentively, uh, to have CJ Miles up there and you could kind of leverage the attention being paid to him into you know looks for other guys in the court. I think that was a pretty big thing and then you know that you know, Pascal Siakam kind of came around late in the series that was yeah. nice to see that Fred Van Vliet comes back a dude who sat for six games minus three minutes and just kind of even though he was only like five points four boards you know he wasn't particularly amazing he had a lot um, of assists on, on the stat I think yeah he had yeah four assists, assists. Yeah, so he wasn't like he didn't like blow the stat line up, but he was also really good at defense and just kind of. I think the biggest thing with him is he steadies that second unit and kind of adds an element of creation and shot making and just sort of space once again to that unit that wasn't there the entire series when they were running it out with like Norman Powell or whoever else. And uh, I think that kind of swung it, and it was really nice as a Raptors fan to see that unit kind of come together and just like pick up where they left off in the regular season where it's just all the pieces fit perfectly and you know the Wizards on the other hand Otto Porter goes down Kelly Oubre has to start he goes one of seven from deep. I think John Wall actually talked about this on Walker Queen out day just kind of you know about how the, the depth on the wing wasn't really there for, obviously Jordy, Jody Meeks getting suspended before the series hurts but not really um, because he didn't play much anyway like it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be in the rotation it was probably going to be you know, like a nine-man rotation. Uh, I guess Ty Lawson came in in the playoffs, so he got some of those minutes. But, I mean, Ty Lawson, I'm sure, shot the ball better over the course. I think he was, like, um, probably... I can't quite remember. He hit, like, five three-pointers in the series, so not a lot. But he would have shot better than Jody makes, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think he was actually 100% from the field, if I'm not mistaken. Um, felt like it. Actually, Mike Scott, Mike Scott was 100% from the field. At least, Yeah. <laughs> Which was surprising because he scored eight points in the fourth quarter of, you know, the decisive game six. And then he, he didn't, I don't know if he attempted another shot after that, but he only played 14, 15 minutes. Um, you would have liked to see him given his contribution throughout the playoffs. He was kind of the one, we'll get to this, like the awards for the playoffs, but he was definitely the sixth man of the postseason for the Wizards. Um, yeah, it was it was a weird, I mean, when you look at the bench, I think depth is, is probably the best term to describe the, the difference between these two teams. Maybe a bit of consistency for the Raptors as well. Um, that that might be another one word, but like in the final game, thirty-four points off the bench isn't a ton, but the Wizards only got twenty, and you know eight of those came in the first quarter. So clearly, not a lot of contributions outside of John Wall and Bradley Beal, which is what hurt them. You get to the fourth quarter, both games five and six, they have no legs left. Uh, they can't hit a single shot, and in game six especially, they were getting trapped and committing turnovers just because, you know, nobody else could do anything after they got trapped. And you can't, you know, it's hard enough scoring in the fourth quarter against one defender, but when you're trying to, you know, go one-on-two and, and really force it, it's, there's just no shot. There's there's no pieces around them to, to make things work. Uh, obviously, wing depth, yeah, you don't want your backup point guard, Tomas Sadaransky, trying to play small forward. It's not his natural fit. Uh, yeah, the Wizards have a lot of roster issues and very limited financial flexibility, so we'll see what kind of trades they make or who they draft this offseason, but it's it's quite a pickle. <laughs> yeah, well, Mike Scott probably played himself out of being affordable for the Wizards, no? Like, 
Would, would you not? Yeah, it was kind of weird because I was with him in the exit interviews yesterday and, you know, people were asking like, you know, have you talked to management? Are you interested in signing a deal with the Wizards? Uh, and he's just like, uh, you know, it's it's really early. I'm still waiting to see. So I, I would think maybe, I don't think he cares whether he's a starter or a sixth man, but yeah. I just don't think the Wizards will be competitive in terms of signing him uh, unless they can get some other contracts off their books, which, you know, will take some some financial finagling a little bit because it would be great to keep him. He was the one player uh, among the additions that John Wall actually liked because he mentioned, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on him. Um, So he was like, Tim did what he can. He had his moments. He said Jody. Yeah, that's the guy whose name I was forgetting. Jody, you know, he contributed what he could before he went through it all with the suspension. And then he said Mike was great. And so that's the only compliment for the new edition. Uh, he didn't, I think he had good, he didn't really specifically mention Ty Lawson, but it's tough to make too much of a judgment after playing with a guy for what, like two weeks? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so definitely Wall, if he was GM, we'll talk to the about this at the end in terms of next steps for the Wizards, but I think his, his number one move would be get rid of Gortat, probably get rid of Meeks, of course, because he wanted to trade earlier. Um and then probably trade auto border and figure out what else he can do. But I don't know. He said like I'm, you know, I didn't go to school for managing contracts. I just want better players around me. That's as simple yeah. as that. Um, so let's talk about the MVP and greatest disappointment, and maybe what other awards you want to come with. I'm sure coach of the series goes to that one's not even close. That's Dwayne Casey. So in terms of the MVP, do you give it to Lowry or DeRozan? I give it to Lowry. Um, I know DeRozan had the bigger scoring games in games two. Two and five were his big ones, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, I I don't know. Kyle was just so... If you wanted to have, like, one word to describe the series, another one, you could just say Lowry, really. I I think what he did in the series was um, kind of... It fed into what I've kind of thought about his playoff performances in the past, and I've always kind of thought they've been more tied to his health than they've ever been tied to some sort of mental block where he can't perform in the playoffs. He's just been broken down in the playoffs, and I think we saw it, and I think Game 6 was a great example of how they've used Kyle to great effect this season. You know, he played 32 minutes in a clincher, and that was all they needed him for because Van Vliet was out there. He could absorb 19 minutes, and Wright could play 24, and the bench could kind of go without giving up huge runs and giving up the lead and actually sort of get back leads and things like that mm-hmm. um, where you didn't have to have Lowry out there for 40 minutes in the game and for him to go 24 6 and 6 on 9 of 15 3 7 from deep I think he shot 44 percent from deep in the series with like a 61.7 true shooting mm-hmm. um you know I think I, there were some people out there saying that like Kyle Lowry wasn't having a good series and I, I think if that's your take you didn't watch the series because he did pretty much everything that makes Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry. He finished with 17, 8, and 5. Yeah. Um, and the defense he played on both John Wall, but I think especially Bradley Beal in the series, were, were exceptional. And for him to have the energy to both do that on the defensive end and, and also sort of be the secondary option on offense, I thought he just did everything that makes Kyle Lowry the engine of this team. And he... You know, Put I think a lot of sort of demons to bed in terms of his past, past you, know, you know playoff performances from recent years, um, and obviously there's still another round to come, and we'll see what happens. But you know I, I was just so impressed with Kyle Lowry in the series, and as great as DeRozan was, um, I, I still think I'd take Kyle over Demar. But at the same time, Demar has a case considering how the Wizards defended him, right? I mean the Wizards mm-hmm. I think 
they were kind of daring DeMar in, in a couple of those games, in particular games two and five, to to beat him. They, they were you know being a little bit more aggressive defensively with Lowry. They were trapping him a little bit more often. They stopped trapping DeMar after game one, and were just like, all right, dude, you're going to beat us from 18 feet? Fine. You, you, we try to do it. And then he did it. And right. That was, I think, the you know, especially in Game Five, where the offense wasn't really there outside of Demar, and then he has like thirty points on twenty shots through three quarters, and then finally the defense softens up a bit. They go to that super small lineup, and Demar doesn't really factor into the fourth quarter, but you know, all he did to get the Raptors there, I mean, he's the reason they were up one going into the fourth, you know, to begin with. So, um, I think he had a really great series. A couple of bad shooting nights probably throw that off a little bit, but I think given what the defense was asking of him to do, I, I think he did. Uh, uh, as about as well as you could expect, but I'd still say Kyle for both ends of the floor and just his shooting and just like the crazy, you know, he had that diving play in game four or game six, sorry, where mm-hmm. he started this break going the other end of the fourth quarter. That was like kind of a, a convincing play, uh, deciding play in the game. Um, Kyle Lowry, man, he is, uh, he's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely neck and neck between them, but I think when you look at the whole body of work and some of the, the poor shooting percentages that DeRozan had, even though, you know, like 44% overall and 39% from three-point range. That's all good, 81% of his free throws. But I can understand that, you know, Lowry is indeed the heart of the team. And along the same lines for the Wizards, you know, he's not MVP of the series because his team lost, but it looked like the best player on the court was John Wall, which was, you know, impressive because he had played, I think, like three or four or something, maybe like less than five regular season games after he came back from injury. And then he averaged 26 points. 11 and a half assists, uh, 5.7 rebounds, and 2.3 steals. I'm sure he had some block shots in there as well. You can say what you wish about his fourth quarter shooting, his turnovers, and from three-point line, he only shot 19%. But clearly, you know, you look at like game four, for example, when the Wizards were on the ropes and lost Bradley Beal due to foul trouble. He was the one who led, led the back and was responsible for like every field goal in the fourth quarter. So... Clearly, John Wall showed that he's worth that max money extension he signed last offseason for now. of Well, <laughs> I guess he missed half the season, so durability might come into play. But I, I, I think, you know, his playoff performance kind of shuts the door on this guy's injured. This guy, you know, he has too many issues in his game. So although the Wizards didn't win it, you, you know, it's it's a whole team. It's not just one guy who's who's able to lead a team to victory, given all the Wizards' inconsistencies and they had some injury problems. He, as as much as Jody Meek sucked this year, he, he it was another guy that they couldn't you know go to the bench and and lean on. So that was a factor. Uh, what award do you want to go with next? Do you want to do sixth man? Because for me, it's definitely Mike Scott. Uh, ten point eight points a game, three point five rebounds. Uh, didn't do a ton of other stuff besides scoring off the bench. But you know when you shoot sixty three percent and 64% from beyond the arc, you don't miss a free throw. That's that's a pretty good spark off the bench, in my opinion. Yeah, before we get to Scott, I just want to kind of touch on what you were saying about Wall, and I, I agree. I thought he was, uh, he was really good in this series, and he scared the hell out of me a lot of the time. Sorry, autoplay videos. Um, I think the thing about Wall that impressed me was, there was a few things. First of all, like he's just such a terror in transition, right? Like He just... And the Raptors, when they got lazy with turnovers or they were having all these long misses that they weren't getting offensive boards on and Wall was, you know, starting the fast break himself, it was horrifying. Like, that was, I think, where most of the scoring came for the Wizards in this series. Um, the other thing, too, about Wall was uh, the Raptors were kind of daring him to shoot mid-range shots a lot of the time in this series, and he did it pretty well. Mm-hmm. And 
I think shot well. But he, I mean, from uh, looking at his shot charts right now, he was definitely well above his 29% from mid-range that he shot in the regular season. Um, there's one spot on the floor here on the right sort of elbow area. Uh, he shot 10 of 13, 77%. He absolutely burned the Raptors every time they let him go right uh, and shoot that 18-footer. He got I that think spot that was, from Paul Pierce, actually. That used to be his sweet spot, and he taught him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, don't need to talk about Paul Pierce. Uh, it's a happy podcast for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought the way Wall kind of adjusted his, uh, you know, his, you know, not he didn't adjust. He stayed with the same shot profile essentially, but he just hit them more effectively and kind of made it so he burned the Raptors for for seeing those shots to him. I thought that really sort of you know threw a wrench into the Raptors' plans. So yeah, Wall for sure is their MVP. Um, and yeah, with the six man, Mike Scott, I never ever ever want to see Mike Scott ever again. Uh, it was exhausting. He was really good in this series. He shot 63% from deep, uh, 63% overall. I mean, it was... Uh, I really hope Mike Scott gets paid because he deserves it. I hope he gets paid by a team that the Raptors will never play in the playoffs, either a bad team in the East or somewhere in West um, because he has added himself to like a list of like inexplicable dudes who cook the Raptors all the time. Like He's on the Gerald Henderson list now. Um, which is, uh, it, among Raptors fans, is a rarefied error. So congrats to Mike Scott on that, I suppose. Um, who did you, I have a hard time picking who I thought the best Raptors reserve was. Do you have a like a, a take on that? Mm, it's probably between DeLon Wright and Pascal Siakam, I think. Oh yeah, I guess it's not that hard. DeLon Wright was awesome. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, when you look defensively, I think like it's hard to say that anyone was better defensively for the Raptors than Pascal. Off the yeah, bench, at least. The possessions he guarded John Wall were super fun. I gotta say that. Uh, I didn't think we'd see much of that, to be honest, considering you know Lowry and OG did a pretty good job on him, and I figured they'd just have like DeLon guard him most of the time when the bench was in. But to have Siakam sort of throw a different look at him, I think there were times where Wall was kind of startled by how quick Siakam is and how he just couldn't blow by him. Um, but I, for, for me, I think Siakam, his early part of the series was kind of ineffective, and his offense was not really there. And This was definitely a series where the Wizards were looking at the scouting report and saying, oh, Pascal Siakam shoots 20% on like two attempts a game. We're definitely not guarding him. And I think they kind of neutralized what he does, a lot of what he does off the dribble and, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's got a lot of room to grow. He'll, he'll be fine, but that, that's definitely a weakness that got exposed in this series. Um, yeah, I don't know why I was confused. DeLon Wright was mm-hmm. so good series <laughs> it was uh he had a couple of sort of wonky offensive games but his defense overall was really nice and uh, you know the the threes he hit he, hit, he shot like 47 percent from threes in this series like that is so crucial and kind of what the raptors have been missing in playoff runs past and uh so yeah i think delon Wright easily is the raptors six man of the series yeah no doubt um who would you say is the biggest disappointment on the raptors yeah Ibaka maybe <laughs> probably serge Ibaka. Okay. um or which is uh, does OG contribute a lot over the course of like the the regular season because he he was eh, he averaged seven point eight points he hit his threes forty seven percent yeah OG I'm I'm saying like were his playoff numbers comparable to what he, his role on the team throughout the regular season like oh, eight points two rebounds he did more in the playoffs than he did oh, the regular really? season okay. yeah he uh. I've, OG was probably on the list of guys who I was most impressed by. Really, yeah. that dude wasn't shook. He, you know, he took threes with confidence, which was kind of an issue in the regular season at times. Uh, we had that pull-up three in Game Six that was like, oh, oh, okay, he's doing this now. All right, 
Um, and like his cutting, I think, was just such a nice little sort of wrinkle that was thrown into the offense. He had like three or four dunks on cuts on the baseline that were uh, were crucial. And yeah, so I was not at all disappointed by OG. It's probably Serge. Um, even though I think his defense was mostly pretty good in this series, even though the offense kind of got away from him in the last four games, it just he the time when he pulled up for that three in game six, like around a screen, like why? Why? <laughs> it was was my reaction. This is not. This was like a super slow motion version of a point guard pulling up a three, and it was mm-hmm. not effective at all. Kind of killed a little bit of momentum the Raptors had going. I think they were down three at that time. It was a chance to tie, and like that's the shot you get. Like. Come on, Serge. Um, but yeah, yeah, and just like he, you would think I, he could tri- contribute, like be much more of an X factor in this series because yeah, and, you know the like, Wizards oh, don't really have fast power forwards or centers who could you know make him like he didn't really make the the Wizards defenders work. Uh, he did in game one because he was you know hitting his threes, but after that there was very little. He wasn't really protecting the rim the the same way you would you would have thought it was. Yeah. Namely, Valanciunas and Jakob Pertl, uh, who were the rim protectors for a team. So, you know, Ibaka became kind of dispensable. Yeah, I think a lot of Ibaka's struggles were kind of circumstance-related. For some reason, Dwayne Casey played him a lot with with Jakob Pertl, and that lineup just hasn't worked all season long. Um, and so it felt it was pretty annoying and frustrating that that went, was gone back to, you know, pretty frequently throughout this series, and I think that probably hurt his numbers a bit. Um, and also, like, kind of like C.J. Miles, I think, you know, we talked about how the, the Wizards were defending DeMar DeRozan. I think, you know, the, the way the Wizards were defending everyone, you know, in concert with how they were approaching DeRozan, I think they kind of cut off a lot of opportunities for Ibaka. Ibaka's a guy who gets a lot of pick-and-pop threes, and that those you know angles and passes just weren't there for DeMar to make. I think the Wizards did a good job of trying to key in on Ibaka, especially after his game one where it went off. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing happened with Valanciunas as well. I mean, Jonas had a great series, but uh, you know there were times, especially in DeRozan's bigger games, where they were just swarming Valanciunas on the roll, not allowing him to be a target at all, and just forcing DeMar to shoot it. So... Um, I think part of its circumstance, maybe it changes in a different matchup. Uh, I'd like to see Ibaka play the five a little bit more often. I think we saw that in game two, and that was really effective. Um, Didn't really see it elsewhere in the series, but I think in the next round, depending who the Raptors play, and by the time people hear this, maybe we already know, but um, I think he will be, you know, probably more of a a factor. And if he's not playing well, if he's missing his shots the way he did, although he still shot like 40% from three in the series, which is kind of inexplicable to me, but um, if he's taking those little dumb turnaround jumpers and stuff and not really, you know, catching balls, like that was, I think, the biggest thing for me was just. The, the dumb turnovers and the inability to sort of catch a pass um, that kind of got to me but maybe we should have expected it because he was inconsistent all season I was banging the drum that Ibaka is a playoff player who doesn't really care about the regular season considering mm-hmm. all the, the wars he's been in the last decade or so with OKC um, and so I was just expecting him to save it for the playoffs and then game one I was like oh I'm vindicated and then after that it was just kind of a lot of what we saw in the regular season but once again kind of speaks to the depth of the Raptors that they're you know in theory their third best player when he's engaged didn't have a very good series aside from one game or two games he was good in game two um yet they still ended up pulling it out in six so um yeah yeah, the is my biggest disappointment who's yours for the wizard i I was wondering your your opinion because there's four guys who i'm kind of deciding between and those guys are uh otto porter markeith morris kelly Oubre, and marcin gortat and marcin you know he's like 33 years old you can't really expect too much from him he ended up averaging uh I, you know, he wasn't great. <laughs> he he had one game with zero points, uh, 8.7 points, and 6.3 rebounds. 
just point three three blocks. So that's like how many games is that? In six games, yeah, he had like two blocks. That's not very good. Um, and then what's real unfortunate for Porter was he just wasn't healthy throughout the series, and of course yeah. he had like that emergency surgery before game six. So he averaged ten points and five rebounds. He also had one point two steals and a block a game. Um, Markeef, you would have loved to see more out of him. Uh, he wasn't really like you know he had that intentional foul or he started some drama in, in game two and then he just really went away from that bully personality afterward. I guess he had fifteen rebounds in game six, but you know only twelve points, three in the second half. So he could have contributed a lot more. He ended up with. 9.8 points and 7.5 rebounds over the course of the series. And then Ubre, although he was a spark plug, he just couldn't hit a shot. So he he scored, you know, 9.3 points, which is good. Um he got some uh whoops, I lost him. He a, a steal a game, not bad, 3.8 rebounds, but 21% shooting from downtown. That really hurts because when you have Wall and Beal penetrating, getting to the rim, and everyone collapses. You know, you're going to have open shooters. He just needs someone to hit it up. If he hit, like, a third of his threes instead of 21%, it would have been a big difference just because he was such a volume shooter. You know, there were games where he's shooting, like, 107 from three-point line. So it's it's tough between those four. I guess, I guess I would have to say Porter was a disappointment just because, like, last year, for example, he was healthy, and he's kind of struggled with these hip issues and lower leg issues stemming from the hip issues throughout not just his career, but even his time when he was back at Georgetown. So it's sad to see him not doing what he's capable of, because usually he's, you know, getting steals, getting offensive rebounds, sprinting out in transition, hitting those wing threes, uh, corner threes all the time. So when he's not able to move, he looks a lot more like, you know, John Wall off the ball, someone who just stands there and can well, Wall can't really hit threes, but Otto Otto's a good standstill shooter. He, you know, he, you would love to see him be more active, and that's that what that's what he can do. He's usually like you know the the hyped up Kelly Oubre type, but just you know a, a better version of Kelly Oubre because he has uh you know he's more mature and understands the game a little bit better. He doesn't make some of those not rookie. I guess Kelly's in his third fourth year, third year, but you know he doesn't make those same mistakes. So. I w- yeah, I think Otto is the biggest disappointment just because, you know, it's not his fault, but he was injured and couldn't contribute as much as you would like your max money player to, to be doing. And a lot of people have beef with uh, Otto because he's making all this money and he's, you know, putting up the same numbers as he did before the money. But, you know, you can't really expect a person to change the way they play just because they're earning more money. You can't think they'll be like a one-on-one type scorer, but definitely... I was I was torn at first between those four guys. I think it's Otto at the end of the day. Do you feel like anyone was more disappointing for the Wizards than Otto Porter? Oh yeah, I think of those four guys, Porter would have been last on my list of disappointments. Just you know, you factor in the injury and also like he still yeah. hit his shots. Um, he was forty-one percent from deep. You know, almost fifty percent from the field. Yeah, he swung. I think the third quarter of Game Four. I think uh, he had ten points. Mistaken. Yeah. Couple threes, um, and like his defense on Demar, even while injured, like I thought it was pretty good for the most part, uh, especially early on in the series. Like game one, I think he did a really good job on him, and you know they they definitely missed him in game six. Like not having right. that sort of you know, you talk about how Kelly Oubre couldn't miss, make a shot. I mean, in those situations where Wall and Beal are kind of penetrating, you kind of can live with cheating a little bit more off of the shooters because it's Oubre who was shooting twenty one percent as opposed to Porter who was shooting forty one percent. Right? Yeah, that's a big um, difference. 
Yeah, so I think I would put Porter at the bottom of the list. I would say it's between Gortat and Morris for me. Mm-hmm. I think I might take the cake just because you saw in the games where he was effective that, you know, how much of a difference he makes. Like, games three and four, he was really good. His screens were illegal, but also very good. <laughs> there's no such thing as, like, a legal screen in the NBA. Come on. There's, no, there's a little bit of feet movement yeah, or shoving. Yeah, that's, that's it's kind of like holding in football. Like, they, you know, they just... They can't call it every play, but it happens every play. It's the same yeah, deal. Yeah, don't be super egregious with it, and you're not going to get called. And yeah, but yeah, no, I think, you know, he just, I don't know what it was, whether it was just like a lack of attentiveness on defense or like a lack of sort of oomph when he was rolling to the rim, but he just kind of felt like a non-factor. Wall wasn't really looking for him at all, and maybe that's just kind of a systemic thing with the team that's happened all year. But, you talking about um, Gortat right now? Yeah, Gortat, yeah. I feel like in games three and four he was really effective and he was a useful role man and you saw how sort of much it changes between when he's good and when he's bad and sort of how the team changes as a construct so uh Gortat was there although I think Marquise Morris was just so bad in this series like I really do he shot 16 percent from deep Mm -hmm. and I just to play Serge Ibaka to like a dead heat in this series is not uh, a good indictment of how he played um or it's, a, it's an indictment of how you played, sorry. And he was just... I, I, at times in the series, I was like, why don't the Raptors just like do the Tony Allen to him? Because he's not doing anything. He yeah. can't really do much off the dribble. He's not a good shooter. He's just kind of a negative out there at all times. And I thought like the Wizards would have been much better off just playing Mike Scott over Marquise Morris for most of the minutes. And Morris still out, outplayed uh, Scott by nine minutes a game. Like if you if you flip those numbers, this might be a different series. I, I really I really think that. I think Morris was like a, just an active negative out there at all times. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I feel like maybe I said Porter just because I know what he can contribute, and seeing like you know a shell of himself in the series was a little bit disappointing. But you know, definitely Gortat and Morris, especially especially Gortat, just because like you can tell he's a dying breed. You know, like he he you know he wasn't as athletic as you know he wasn't he couldn't guard Valanciunas in the post. He couldn't out rebound him. There were two games where he had zero points and two points. So. His, you could just tell, like, when he's on the court, there, there's only so much that he can do at this stage of his game. He can get people open with screens. He can occasionally finish on, you know, pick and rolls, but it's it's just very limited. So, I mean, they were, the Wizards were lucky that the Raptors didn't go small ball too much, and, you know, they they basically always had either Yako Pirtle or Valanciunas, JV, in the game, so, you know, didn't expose... Gortat quite as much as it could have, but I I definitely think he's on his way out this year somehow. If the Wizards can can deal him, because they'll probably do everything they can to get rid of him. I, I, even though everything sounds like it's fine between him and Wall, like I I don't think so. You know, if you mentioned during the season, hey, I want to retire with the Orlando Magic, like what kind of message does that send? If you're midway yeah. through a season, like okay, you don't want to be here anymore. Like what? Why? Why would I want to pass you the ball? Like all of these different things. Um, very, uh, it was a very uh, like passive aggressive version of Eric Bledsoe at the start of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, shout out to Markeith Morris. Uh, back to Morris for trying to like rile up OG Ananobi, who is like the the least rileable person in the entire NBA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did it twice. Is there anyone who's a fighter on on the Raptors? I guess. Oh, I was expecting a Markeith Surge fight in like game two. Mm. I really. Like Serge has thrown multiple punches. He's been suspended twice in the last year for for throwing punches. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure 
pretty surprised that didn't end up coming to blows at some point. DeLon seems like a guy you don't mess with. Kyle, obviously, being from Philly, he's, you know, he's a little bit tough-minded <laughs> too, but a couple guys just, you know, don't, whether they're foreign or whatever it is, they just, you know, like, I wouldn't, even though DeMar DeRozan, you know, comes from, like, a gang-ridden Compton neighborhood, he doesn't really give off the vibe that he is trying to be that physical with you, you know? <laughs> no, DeMar is extremely zen um, yeah. at all times. It's, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, no, the Raptors aren't, like, a very fight. Like, P.J. Tucker is not on the team anymore, right. so there's less of a fighty vibe, but Serge definitely will... Uh, Sometimes it felt like in the regular season, Serge was just trying to get into a fight so he could get ejected and get the night off. <laughs> that very much felt like a thing. But um, There are yeah. a few uh, interesting stats I want to pull up. So yep. uh, in terms of three-point shooting, the Wizards only hit eight a game, which was worst in the playoffs. Um, the Raptors hit 11 a game, which was fourth. Um, the Wizards had averaged until game five, 25.6 assists per game. I'm not sure where that was at a time, but that would be... Um, between third and fourth, so they would be fourth if they kept that up. In the last game, they only had 12 assists off 32 field goals. Wall had eight of those, so they dropped down to fifth place, 23.3, which is still solid. And then both teams were like horrible at rebounding compared to their, their playoff peers. The Raptors were 11th and the Wizards were first, 13th, both averaging 40 boards a game. Were there any other... I, I wish I knew uh, the amount of points off the bench your, your team scored a game but it seemed like that was a pretty pretty high figure do you just looking back big picture anything else that you noticed that kind of made it more mismatched as you thought or do you did you I mean you came into the series thinking it would be uh, a five game ser- win for for the Raptors end up being six I was calling Wizards and seven which uh I mean, yeah, it was. It seemed like in Game Four and, or sorry, Game Five and Game Six, even though they started off close games, the Wizards actually were up twelve in the first quarter in Game Six, and I thought it was going to be a blowout, but you know they're the Wizards. It it seemed like it wasn't as close of a series as it could have been, just because the games ended up being pretty close. There was maybe like a couple. The Wizards won one by nineteen. The Raptors won one by eleven. But I don't know, it just seemed a little bit more distant, maybe just because it didn't go to a Game 7, but it, it felt like the Raptors pretty much cruised aside from Games 3 and 4. What's, what are your like major takeaways, stepping back, big picture, from this this first-round win for the Raptors? Yeah, I kind of felt that too. Like I was never really like worried about whether or not the Raptors were going to win the series. It just kind of felt like when they wanted to kick it in, they always felt like they had like a lineup that... Casey was kind of saving for the fourth quarter or um, like they just had another gear they could find in the fourth quarter that the Wizards just couldn't find. Because I felt like the Wizards had to do everything they could to stay close. Um, like Wall had to be superhuman in order for this to be a close series. And he was for big chunks of it, but um, it kind of just felt like, you know, the Raptors were the one seed for them for a reason. They were a plus 7.8 net rating in the regular season for a reason. And it kind of felt like they could kind of rest on that and then really kick it in when they had to. Um, I think maybe the most interesting thing for, for me in terms of looking at like lineups and stuff, I, I think the Raptors starting five was way better than I would have expected. They had a plus 8.5 net rating in 108 minutes together, a 116.4 offensive rating in those minutes. And you counter that with the starters for the Wizards, they were a minus 10 uh, in 80 minutes of 117.3 defensive rating. Like That, I think, kind of told the story. Because the bench for the Wizards, I mean, the main bench unit that they used, I guess, most of the time was Lawson, Mahinmi, Oubre, Sadoransky, Scott. Played 18 minutes. It was a plus 76.2. 
a lot of their bench units were excellent. Uh, the Raptors, not so much until Fred VanVleet came back in. The Lowry and bench unit was pretty good, but other than that, it was, you know, the DeMar and bench was a disaster. It was a minus 63 in 16 minutes. Obviously, these are enormously tiny samples, but, um, you know, they, they matter in the course of a, of a playoff series, considering it itself is a small sample. Uh, but I think, you know, just the, the steadiness of the Raptors starters brought to the game every single night, even with Serge not playing particularly well, they just kind of, aside from game six where they got down early, like they started well in all mm-hmm. in first five games. And I think, yes, the Wizards came back and won and won games three and four, but the, the, the starters, I think, just kind of laid a nice groundwork for everything the Raptors did in this series. And I, I don't know if I would have expected them to be that good. I mean, they were excellent in the regular season, but you never know how the playoffs are going to change how it all works. If OG Ananobi's going to hit his threes or whatever. Right. Um, but it turned out to be very necessary because the bench wasn't as good as we expected until Game Six, and you know the, the starters really, I think, held up their low, their end of the end of the bargain, and the, the the Wizards starters, on the other hand, I just think were were pretty disappointing, and I guess that goes into you know Gortat, Morris, and Porter being mm-hmm. three of the most disappointing four players in the series for the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I mean it's it's a real knife in the back when in you know an elimination game. You're losing to guys who aren't even in the starting lineup, and when you have Fred VanVleet and Pascal Siakam, and uh, I can't remember, there was one other reserve who played all 12 minutes in the final game uh, of the fourth quarter. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, Yeah, yeah, uh, tough series for the Wizards. Lots of questions. You know, a very inconsistent year for them. Uh, And I think when you were asking, what are some of the things that the Wizards need to do now? It's it's a laundry list, you know. Like they've got a draft and an athletic big man. They need shooters and wings off the bench. Uh, they had no wing depth. They had no backup shooting guard in the playoffs. Um, and get rid of the people who might not want to be there. Um, Meeks, Gortat, Mahimni seems to have he you know let it all all the dirty laundry out in the um, exit interview. I don't know if he wants to be there anymore. Who knows? Uh, he said there's basically just been miscommunication and poor communication, last lack of communication between the team all year. Uh, the players are ultimately to blame, but like coaching and ownership hasn't done a good job either. Uh, ideally, sign Mike Scott. You know, he, he had a great year. Uh, it would be good to have him back, especially if he can improve his, his one-on-one defense and maybe lateral quickness just a little bit and grab some more rebounds. That'd be great. But yeah, the Wizards are in a very difficult position because the team is full of bad contracts. The only good contracts are maybe Markeith Morris and Kelly Oubre and Sadoransky aren't, you know, making too much money and they're contributing, but everyone else. I guess, like, a Beals contract is potentially tradable because three years, like, $75 million, uh, I don't think the Wizards should break up Wall and Beal by any means, but if one of their big three contracts were to get traded, it would be Porter, who's kind of... You know, like, he was injured this year, he's had an injury history, he's not, like, an aggressive scorer, I don't know how many teams would would want him, maybe sell high on Kelly Oubre right now, I don't know, the Wizards have a ton of question marks, uh, <laughs> not, and, you know, a few people ask, like, when you're going against the Raptors, like, they, they're a team that kind of overhauled their whole offensive and defensive philosophies and retooled their bench and all these different things. And so the you know, different reporters were asking to the Wizards have enough with their current core to get over the hump and, you know, win a second round series and make it to the conference finals. And everyone's basically saying, well, you look at all the injuries this year, that's why we struggled. You look at um, how good our starting five is uh, in terms of their efficiency. So 
you know, a few people thought the starters are fine. It's just kind of retooling the bench and making some strides there. Do you have any parting advice for the Wizards? Uh, stop signing bad contracts. That would be one. Especially <laughs> seven-footers who can't move. Yeah, so, like, the thing about the Wizards is it feels like they're kind of locked in to an extent, unless they can, like, unload some stuff. But, like, I feel like a lot of these contracts, you're going to have to attach some sort of asset to get rid of them. The yeah. Raptors had to deal with this last summer with Damari Carroll, and considering how little cap space there is out there, considering um, just sort of the market for a lot of these types of players, you know, big centers. There's two centers who are kind of, you know, relics of the past a little bit on this team. No one's trading for those guys without getting something else in addition. Um, and that sort of feeds into the, the greater issue with the Wizards in that they've traded a lot of first-round picks. They haven't done right. particularly well drafting and filling out the roster the way, say, the Raptors have. And I think that uh, it's going to be hard to get out of this summer unless you, yeah, unless you trade a Porter or someone like that. But then what are you getting back from him? And right. then Walt has the, the super-duper Ubermax coming in in the 2019-20 season. Um, you know, next season, you know, I mean, you talk about Joni Meeks not, not wanting to be around, but he's got a $3.4 million player option next year. Mm. Is Joni Meeks getting more than that anywhere else? I, I don't know. <laughs> he might want to keep that. Uh, and he's suspended for 25 games uh, exactly, when the season, yeah. regular season kicks in anyway. Yeah, so like he might just opt into that, and then the Wizards are stuck there. Jason Smith has a $5.5 million player option. That dude didn't play in the series and no. barely played the year. Like, he's taking that money next year for sure. Um, so it's it's kind of hard unless they unload some of these contracts, but that will, I think, feed into some of their bigger issues if they sort of get aggressive in trying to do that. And I, I don't really see how they're bringing back all that much in terms of value. They still owe Martel Webster $800,000 next year? <laughs> yeah, he, he like retired and was like, yeah, I'm going to start my rapping career. And, of course, he's still guaranteed money for years and years. It makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, that's what happened when I have... Uh, Ernie Grunfeld in your front office instead of a guy like Danny Ainge who teams should just never trade with. I wish, yeah, I think this should be the end of the road for Grunfeld. And it's not going to be because, you know, there's the argument Wall was injured half the year, but the team still had a ton of issues. You can't win a playoff series with one or two guys. You know, you can't advance far in the, the postseason without a full team, you know, and lots of guys who contribute. You don't need 10 of them like the Raptors have or 12 or whatever. I don't know. You probably have like 30 guys who, who could put on uniform and still bring you to a playoff win, but you need at least seven who can consistently contribute. And the Wizards haven't, you know, they have, they their, their bench is not there yet. Um, and there, there's a lot of question marks and no flexibility from the financial perspective. So, yeah, lots and lots of bad contracts. It's it's been miserable for Wizards fans, and if they come back with the same core, it's just a big okay. I give up to to all the fans out there. <laughs> it's like we're happy being mediocre. We're happy trying to get forty four wins, and and that's it. In fairness, Ernie Grunfeld. What? Ty Lawson made eight thousand three hundred and thirteen dollars uh, as an NBA player this season, and I think he very much uh, overshot that value in, in this playoff series. So that's good. That that's his value signing. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. Okay. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, Wall and Beal are really good, and I think there's always going to be hope with a team that has those guys at the top. Like John Wall is excellent, and he terrifies me. He's one of the few guys who scares the living daylights out of me. When Even he's in up the fourth quarter. Maybe not so much, but he, you know, he was instrumental in all of the good things the Wizards did in this series for the most part. Right. And 
as long as you have those two guys, you have a shot. And I think the Raptors are kind of an example of how you can kind of restructure around two guys. At the same time, the Raptors always had more fun, the cap flexibility than what the Wizards have right now. And it's going to keep them up. But um, here's hoping that, you know, I don't wish for anyone to be fired, but Ernie Grunfeld probably shouldn't have this job anymore. And here's hoping they can bring some, some someone in to kind of figure out this mess because it's uh, it doesn't look good right now. But, I mean, again... Beal and Wall are really good. They can always, they're always going to give you a shot, I think. Mm-hmm. And the other question is, like, do the Wizards need a better veteran presence, or is the leadership with, with you know, Wall and Beal enough? And, of course, you don't want to necessarily add veterans because the Wizards were already one of the oldest teams in the postseason, but it's just a, a maturity issue. They didn't play hard every night. They overlooked a lot of opponents who ended up beating them, and these were not tough opponents. They were teams like the Atlanta Hawks and Brooklyn Nets and, you know, the those sorts of squads so one final question for you i know that uh delon wright said he he'd have a response prepared if the wizards lost the series and you know he got the the better end of the uh, you know if he kind of ousted kelly Oubre at the end did he have anything to say to Oubre who told him that he doesn't play well on the road oh he said uh that blocking him at the end of the game was the highlight of his series which is considering he had like a few just like legendary raptors playoff moments in this series yeah. And blocking the hell out of Kelly Oubre at the buzzer was the number one for him, which is just uh, truly outstanding. Chef's kiss all around. And <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that was his response. So, yeah, I think DeLon Wright got the better of that one for sure. All right, well, as you watch this Game 7 between the, the Pacers and the Cavs, I'll just, you know, be crying in a corner for the next four months or so. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to speak with you on, you know, everything under the sun related to this series, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Uh, I think it's going to be the Cavs that we face. If not, obviously LeBron is out of town, and it's it's a whole shakeup of them, yay. Uh, the, the East better be won by the Sixers or the Celtics or else nobody's going to watch the finals in my mind uh, Canada will watch it'll be uh, bumping up here so. <laughs> alright get your poutine ready <laughs> alright man uh, thanks so much everyone listen to Lockdown Wizards and Lockdown Raptors on iTunes subscribe rate review uh, both shows it's, uh, it's very nice of you to do it's uh, helpful it's uh, all those things it, it, it helps the ego it helps the algorithms on iTunes and whatnot um, so please do that and uh, make sure you're checking out the entire Lockdown Podcast Network as well thanks Sean take it easy everybody cheers you shot right through my heart why you let these hoes tear what we had right apart? Oh, I'm so mad. I could have seen this coming right from the start. You should beware, beware, beware of a woman with a broken heart. Baby, last time calling me baby, last time calling me crazy. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.